Welcome to Kiss and Tell, where we discuss modern media and culture and how we fundamentally believe the world of advertising and media is shifting based on technology, digital, social, and user behavior. So join me and my guests and what that means, why it matters, and what we should be doing now. I'm your host, Blake Marquis. Welcome to another Kiss and Tell. You have Blake Marquis here with my friend Todd Lombardo. What's happening? And we have Maggie Cadigan coming all the way from upstairs at Mistress <laughs> in Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> How are you? Woohoo! Good. Thanks for having me on. We're so psyched. I'm so me. psyched. I can't even. You well, can't even. It's your fault. Why? You wanted to be a part of it. You I said, know. when do I get to be a part I of it? I pushed myself on, and then the moment came, and now it's yeah. here. And Blake and I were like, of course. And then I heard her radio voice, and I was like, all right, this is it. She's a rock yes. star. Let's, Let's get her on here. Yeah. So Thanks welcome. for ha- Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. It's our pleasure. Thank you, Maggie. So where do we begin this week? We had such an interesting discussion at planning for this podcast. We did. Yeah. And it's like normally what we'll do is we'll we'll just say, what great news happened this week? And then we'll talk about it. Like a lot of times it'll be Netflix, or it'll be Facebook, or it'll be something like that. And what's really interesting is over the past week, a lot of the news has actually had a little bit of a negative sort of spin to it. And I think some of it might have been coming out of advertising week, but some of it's been bumbling under for a while now. And Definitely. some of the negative things that have come out have included, you know, brands and dealing with transparency in digital. Uh, Facebook and fake news and and how do they manage that and how do brands manage being part of those platforms YouTube and brand safety issues what do they do about terrorism videos so there's a lot of interesting challenges happening in the world and we thought this might be a good opportunity to actually talk about some of them and 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 what we think um, could be happening in real time and in the future regarding some of them definitely there's a lot there's lots going on in the ad world always and just like you said it's a lot of this, I feel like, definitely has been coming out over the last couple of weeks, but it's kind of been an, an ongoing undercurrent almost um, for the past couple of years, I would say, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you look at the investment, what's so crazy is is we've talked about this before. So you've got Netflix, $7 billion investment, Amazon, Hulu in the billions. You've got Facebook and YouTube all investing billions in all this original content. And, but the question comes, okay, that's great, but is that going to be enough? Mm-hmm. Like if I want to advertise on YouTube, YouTube Red isn't enough. Mm-hmm. It's not enough reach. It's not enough of anything. So I got to advertise on the rest of it. But then I've got brand safety issues. And uh, I think it was the Procter & Gamble CMO who sort of threw down the gauntlet earlier this year. I think he became the president of the uh, ANA. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, look, guys, there's some issues here. And if you're not going to come to me, Google, Facebook, et cetera, if you're not going to come to me with transparency and data Solutions, that I need, yeah. then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it the issue that, that uh, needs to be fixed. I, own, I, I manage a ton of money. And I'm the head of ANA now, so we got to fix this. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we talked about it a little bit last week as well, but it's something that we're, I, I think, having Procter & Gamble come out and say that and, and make a point that maybe the the media market is a little broken yeah. and they can't even keep up with all the demand that they need to do to actually be relevant on those channels. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do for sure. But I think that also... So you were saying, Maggie, too, is being in the ad industry and kind of taking a look at what we do on a daily basis for our clients and looking at what media companies are now doing for mm-hmm. their clients and where that line has become a little blurry. And also, <laughs> Oh, my God, it's so, it's so crazy. It's insane. <laughs> but I mean, I'm just thinking of, you know, the vices of the world, the refineries, the buzz feeds. 
you look at those places and they have, you know, creative yeah. departments that are, are larger than most agencies. I know. So, okay. So on one hand, you've got the, the world dealing with all these things like transparency and, and ad fraud and like terrorist videos. And I don't even know where my ad is running and I don't even know if it's fake or real, right? All this kinds of stuff mm-hmm. is happening. Then the other hand, so you've got agencies and brands working on that. But then the other hand, you've got Vice Media, you've got Refinery29, all these other companies saying, hey, we'll do marketing for you. We know how to get a million views. There's the other question of, is a million views really the goal? And that's that could be a whole discussion in and of itself. And then on top of that, just to add yeah. to that, you've got the creative agencies, then you have the traditional publishers, I guess you could kind of call yeah. them the vices and the refinery 29s. Then you have the traditional media companies who are trying to jump into both of those spaces, getting onto the trend that they can't just do media anymore because yeah. just doing media isn't what we all do really anymore. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's, it's even like a multi-layered everything. And then you have consultancies, this big word consultant, consultant people that are coming in and claiming to do all of it. So yeah. it's kind of, it's an interesting, it's <laughs> yeah. just an interesting it's an interesting lay of the land right now. My favorite article, I think, uh, in our prep for this, my favorite article was from Adweek, and it was, I think it was titled, What is an Agency? <laughs> what is an ad agency? Or what is an ad agency, right. And there's this, if, if you go find it, you go Google it, it's so interesting um, because it talks all about like, well, no, we're an experiential marketing company, or maybe I should just say I'm in marketing or whatever, whatever but no, the thing But is. no, Todd, we're, we're full service. Oh, we're full service. What does that even mean anymore? You don't know, and I don't know. I don't know, I know. Nobody knows. What I that agree. Means. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and so you look at that and then you say, you see the, the big news item that I, that really popped for me last week was from Condé Nast. They have an internal ad agency called, um, I think it's 23 stories and they just positioned in the press as having, I think a hundred people, hundred, hundred, hundred plus, hundred plus people as an internal agency. And I think of that, I think of, wow, they've managed to create a hundred person ad agency within their company and they've already got the media built in because they own, you know, because they are Condé Nast. They are Condé Nast. <laughs> That's interesting, though. Even though, if it's uh, if you think of, I, I know you were always like billboards are making a comeback. Oh, I totally love billboards because you're always stuck in traffic. You might as well. It's right there. But if you if you think of if you think of Condé Nast kind of having its new resurgence, yeah. like the everyone reverting back to print even or billboards well, and yeah. stuff like that, then you see Condé Nast having this resurgence. Yeah. So, okay, so that's a really good point. So if you look at over the past 30 days, you've had two or three major publishing founders pass away. Mm-hmm. SI Newhouse, Hugh Hefner, and a couple, uh, there might have been one more that I'm not recalling right now. You had three or four editors from like Vanity Fair, Time, and a couple others sort of resign and say, okay, I'm done. So there's all this speculation that um, in the traditional print space, is this is 2018 going to be the year where revenue really tanks and that they need a new generation of leaders and that is why a bunch of the the people who have resigned have happened to resign um, i don't know if that's true that's speculation that i've read maybe in new york times or somewhere else recently so if that's the case then does the revenue shift over to digital but digital doesn't drive the revenue that print used to drive so that's why they need to find another revenue source well we already know how to create content we're in a in a space where people want to watch content why don't we just translate that into a service for a brand and something that makes a lot of sense it's additional revenue source something we know how to do look at buzzfeed buzzfeed knows how to make viral videos some brands want viral videos it seems like a happy fit but i think the thing they're missing is if you go to an agency, what an agency provides often is really interesting audience insights. 
Mm-hmm. And that, or that, they should at least, or they should, yeah. <laughs> and um, the the classic book um, by Al Reese, the Positioning Battle for Your Mind book from like I think the late seventies or early eighties. It's all about like trying to position yourself relative to everybody else in the market. So customer insights really matter. And I'm not sure. I sometimes think that's an underappreciated skill set in an agency. Um, but when you get it right, it's so powerful. Right. It's so powerful. Yeah. Well, but then you think about, we were just talking about, I was just thinking of a conversation that we all had a couple of days ago about this. That has driven us to just a crazy abundance of content, right? Oh, like yeah. you can't just make, even looking, I think I made this point in the TV space when you think of it even outside of advertising. TV, my brother is in entertainment. You can't just make a TV show that appeals to everybody anymore. There's so many TV shows because of that crazy audience segmentation data. That's the exact same thing that's happening in our advertising world and has then triggered everything that's happening in this quote unquote content world in the digital space, right? Is that we've just got, you, you hear time and time again, and we tell clients your content won't perform like it's quote meant to perform if we're not making specific pieces of content that are meant to be targeted to specific yeah. audiences, right? Yeah. So now we're, we live in this world of we've got all that audience segmentation data. Now we need to create the content for it. And then you take a step back and you say, but wait a minute, we're just now we're, we have so much content. What are we? Is it even all performing anymore? Yeah. What's the answer to that? Probably I, no. Right. I don't know. The, the question I always ask, which is such a horrible question, is who the hell is going to watch all this content? Exactly. Right? So much stuff. And on Facebook, just scrolling through the newsfeed, there's more news and content than you could ever, yeah. ever consume. And and how do you manage it? And as a brand, you say, okay, if I'm going to create content, how many different versions? There's all sorts of companies out there. I think even it might be YouTube now offers a new pro, a new feature where they can they can cut like a hundred different versions of your video Just with right one away. set of video assets automatically for you, which is really great. Um, but you know, the question really becomes if a brand, maybe that's the answer to the question of what is an agency even becoming, right? Which is, is a brand in the market, is, is, does a brand exist to, you know, make milk or to make cars or to make shows should the agency's role then to be okay we can make marketing that really sings and really shines on social platforms that's the role of the agency yeah and that i mean that's that's i think there are the pushes up against if you're just using condé nas as an example yeah. let's let's pretend they're an agency for a minute yeah and you know i'm pellegrino and i have my agency and i need to make a piece of content am i going to trust Bon Appetit with Condé Nast or I'm going to trust my agency to make that content? And That's such a tough question. And the challenge would be, I'd be like, I, I think I might trust Bon Appetit, right? Unless there's a big production element to it or whatever. But the, my thing there is that content is still a commercial now. There's so much of yeah. it that it's like, yeah. in, I think, I mean, I'm savvy enough to look at it and be like, okay, I'm getting marketed to. It's always a lot shorter because they never invest the amount of time they need into it or can't afford mm-hmm. 15 minutes is versus three minutes, right? So like the long form commercial that's considered a content piece is usually too short to be actually good content. Correct. Like telling a story of yeah. any kind. And it's like, we talked about this when we were preparing for this podcast, which is, can a brand really hide its true motives? Really? Like if you're Ford, mm-hmm. you still need to sell that still car. Still need to sell cars. Yeah. And like Honda, Honda has this whole campaign. I see it on Hulu a lot, which, you know, is ironically backwards and that you can't skip ads in the um, ad version. And it's like helpful, our helpful Honda, Southern helpful California Honda, dealers. Yes. Yeah. And they like do these little stories where they'll help somebody who needs some help. And it's really nice and quaint, you know, but and maybe because I'm in advertising, I think this way, but I, I always think about, you know, but they're really trying to sell me a car. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's an impure motive there. Um, so brands struggle like that, I think. 
Is it impure? That just got me thinking. Is it impure or is it because Honda is already... So then taking a step back, you now have to think about where your brand is in the life cycle, right? We talk about that a lot at Mistress. Is it a brand new brand? Is it an established brand? Is it a challenger brand? Is it trying to change its perception? Where is that brand in its life cycle? So is Honda allowed to do that because they already have an established brand right is some of the you know the brands that the, the cmo of or the ceo of png talks about can he just can they do those types of things can they shift away from this content theme and and where content is pushing to have those bigger conversations because they're those bigger brands yeah. or does that change i yeah. don't know that's a really good point i don't, when i said impure i don't mean impure like being misleading i think totally. that as a as a viewer though like if you look at you know, humans of New York on Facebook mm-hmm. watch versus a Honda ad. Right. I know one of them is trying to sell me something more explicitly than the than other. the other. Right. And I think that is one of the challenges that have not yet been resolved. And look, that's why brands will partner with a content ask or partner with an agency or partner with an influencer for original video, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, because they might need some help. So it's it's a really it's a really good thing to pursue. It's just it's very hard to do it well. Totally. Yeah. The other, do you want to say something else on that? No. Like, go ahead, Maggie. No, I was just going to say the other thing um, that kind of comes up in that that same article about the the guy from Procter and Gamble is he said the majority of the content that's performing well for them is under two seconds. Oh yes. So they that is such a good point. They create yeah. so much content, but it's not the kind of content that we've been talking about thus far. It's 1.7 seconds and yep. that's what's performing well because that's where the attention span is and that's you yeah. know that's what it is can so, you walk us through what that looks like maggie by any chance <laughs> what, of 1.7 sec- yeah, what, what, what happens in that 1.7 well, seconds t- logo product <laughs> logo buy i can't even i can't even tell you so <laughs> that was three seconds literally, yeah. <laughs> literally uh, 30 minutes ago i was just talking to damien um in the hallway here who is working on an article about creativity in the age of mm-hmm. short form super short form um video and at the time when we started talking about this article, we started talking about the era of six seconds. Because if, you know, mm-hmm. six seconds started sort of on YouTube and others as, pre- as a pre-roll. And now, you know, it's airing on linear, right? And there's a point to this long and boring story. So <laughs> six seconds was considered short. And then a couple weeks back, maybe it was during advertising week. I think it might have been. Uh, Facebook was releasing some research about that 1.7 seconds. So about two seconds is the optimal viewing time for an ad. So suddenly six seconds seems really so long. long. So I'm upstairs talking to Damien. And I'm like, dude, how do you tell a story in two seconds? And he just shook his head. And I think the answer is I don't <laughs> I don't really know well, how to ta- how to answer that, but that is really, really going to be fascinating to see how that how formats play out. And I think formats formats have a bigger will have a bigger impact than I think we're giving them credit for. Format really matters in terms of length of time. Definitely, I was just going to say I feel like the first ad that did that was those Miller High Life, yeah, the Super Bowl High ones. Life, and then they were just interrupted the game High Life. Bye. <laughs> it's like those were so successful. <laughs> Seriously, and you still remember something. from a PR exactly. standpoint, it was perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got, yeah. Got one, it was a one point seven second ad, but then it was yeah. thirty minutes of PR. And and you know the thing is, it's not that ads are bad, right? Ads play a role, and we've talked about this a lot on this podcast. Without advertising, you wouldn't have Facebook, you wouldn't have YouTube, you wouldn't have Snapchat, you wouldn't have a lot of your networks, right? Advertising pays a lot of the bills so that we have great shows to watch and great content to watch and platforms to use, so that's great. But advertising done well is a different bar to reach above, and that's the 
the point that I want us to get to. And I think that all the format changes that are happening, whether it's vertical video over on Snapchat or Instagram stories or two seconds on Facebook, I think it gives us an opportunity to tell stories. And the final piece there is today. Mm-hmm. Today is Thursday. And the number one trending story in ad week is something along the lines of, should ads even be telling stories? And oh my gosh. I have yet to read it. I just, it really popped as a headline and it was the number one trending. So it gets to Blake what you were saying earlier, which is like how to tell a story in two seconds. And this article's title is claiming, should they even try? Yeah, sponsored by. That's it. <laughs> Done. Well, that's really terrifying for a bunch of people in the ad agency business. Well, but then <laughs> no, it goes... but I, I still think there's room yeah. for commercials. I, know, I, I just think it. we, I just think we need to get out of this world of making brands making content for everybody. Yeah. Um, I know, like Subaru doesn't need a cooking show. <laughs> you know, I just want to know about. I want to learn about the car. It's uh, it's really true. What are the so the question then becomes what are the limits to advertising, which gets to what we're talking about at the top of the show. Some of the challenges we face include what are the limits? What can't we go past? Well, and how do you even how do you even define that if there's so many different ways to consume content these days, right? We we talk all the time about you can't just take your TV ad and put it on Facebook. It's not going to perform, which we've right. we've shown that that's that's true. Yes. But then does that mean we need to stay in this world where we're creating millions and millions of versions of things and super hyper-targeted thing? Like, is that is that the answer? Or are we just pushing ourselves so far down that funnel at some point it's going to peak? I don't know. And we do need to just go back to, hey, client, let's talk about what we really need to communicate. Yeah. People want to buy a Subaru. Let's tell them about the Subaru, not the emotional story of every, you know, father and his daughter who lived in a Subaru for 20 years. What's the, yeah. what's the solution there? Yeah. I like that commercial. Um, I do too. This is, this is my, this is my favorite quote from ad week, advertising week, um, in New York was last week. Okay. Ready? Um, it's from, uh, Lou Pascalis, who's a senior VP over at Bank of America. And he wrote as an advertiser, I must tell you ads are dead. The future is about things people want, not things they have to endure. And I'm like, oh, man, I mean, that is a really cynical point of view. I don't think ads are all about what you have to endure. Endurance. No, they play a role. And yeah, there's some bad ads out there. We've all experienced them. I don't think anyone starts their day in the marketing business saying, hey, today I want to create a bad ad that someone has to endure. If you look around, all the people we know, we're all trying to do really great stuff, trying to move the Mm -hmm. needle. And I think that's that's very noble. It's super noble, but there's so many ways to do that, right? There's there's not, especially at Mistress, we pride ourselves on that, not having one kind of cookie cutter solution for yeah. every single brief. Um, I think it just comes Thanks back. Thanks for the plug, Maggie. <laughs> I think that yeah. it just brought comes back. Brought, yeah. brought to you by Mistress. <laughs> easy, easy on the plugs, Maggie. This, call <laughs> this, to is, the co- this is content, <laughs> this, not advertising. It's <laughs> called to the bullpen, sponsored by Mistress. Um, no, but seriously, I, I think it's it's something that we all we all need, need to think about, especially in this in this world where there's platforms emerging all the time, different statistics emerging all the time, all that all that good stuff. I have this new hypothesis that somehow we have gone too complicated. Complicated. By the way, everyone's laughing in the room, and I have no <laughs> idea why. Like, do I have something on my face? I can't tell. Um, is it is it so complicated? Like you were saying, all the hundreds of versions of ads we need to revert to simplicity again. Like before we were in advertising, it was TV print out of home radio and direct mail. We're pretty, and then, mm-hmm. you know, experiential and events and that kind of stuff, but in PR, but you know, it's basically like four or five things and you did the TV spot then you did the thing, you did the thing. And now it is just so chaotic complicated. That, that, you know, uh, an agency might pride themselves on, um, 
I'm being like, yeah, we really know how to build a brand. And a, and a client might say, well, that's great, but I just want 10 million views or, or I need to be on Facebook posting in a week. They just need to be something really quickly. And, uh, and all your message about, well, we can build great brands. I'm not sure everyone wants that in this day and age. And with all the chaos and complications, I don't know. I don't know whether the old models even fit anymore. Well, then you look at, that's an interesting point. You then look at to your, you know, looking at Facebook and seeing who's advertising on Facebook. First of all, I think it's fascinating that no one's newsfeed is the exact same. So the ads that I'm talking about right now could be completely different than the ads that you guys see on yep. Facebook. But those brands are typically brands that I've never heard of. They're a new shoe brand, a new bra brand, a new, you know, fab fit fun box, whatever it is. They're all these <laughs> different products yeah. that my news, my date, whatever data I'm putting into Facebook, Facebook feels like I'm going to care about. And 80% of the time I likely do. They're brands that aren't trying to, I would argue, aren't trying to build a brand. They're trying to build a profit. They're yeah. trying to sell you things. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting point. Do are people out there to establish new super successful brands like the brands that we all know and love that have been around forever or do people not care about that anymore because that's not how you make money anymore. You that's can make money through yeah. a Facebook yeah. ad yeah. campaign. Like the like, one, the 1.7 yeah. narrative is just trying to sell you something. It's yeah. not, well, that's it's not trying to teach yeah. you about what the brand's emotional. Yeah. It's just performance are, right? marketing, yeah. right? It's just like uh, measure your response rates, cut out the ones that are performing the, the least efficiently and add in new ones and see, and try to mm, boost sell your, more stuff. Yeah. Boost your efficiency. Um, we were talking, was it you and I talking Mags? Earlier? Probably. Yeah. We were talking earlier about this concept of, of, brand like um brands becoming famous or something yes and so i was been thinking about that all week and came up with a couple of examples that where brands became famous but they ended up failing and it's like so is that really the goal so okay new coke mm -hmm. um apple newton pets.com <laughs> we've all heard of all those brands yep. and they're all gone, gone right and they all had very short lives and so when we think about building a brand long-term, like Blake was referencing, I actually think the importance of that is underplayed. I think you need to take the short view, like we have to have sales this quarter, and I think you have to take the long view and say we want a brand, to, if you do, you know, if you want a brand to be around for 20 years, you gotta take that long view. And I think some, I think some of those um, brands just wanted to be famous. And so in this era of sort of social media, where fame is like currency worth more than money, which is insane to me, um, being just famous, I don't think is enough. And I think ultimately that card's not going to play very well. But you don't, you don't keep brand fame. You can, you can get it through advertising and marketing, yeah. but you, you keep it through product. That's and if the product point. isn't good, you're not going to be able to advertise it to, to be successful forever. That's a really good point. We were talking about that, um, maybe a year ago now with Yeti, right? Yeti, Yeti built their entire brand on an amazing product, right? Their whole brand, their whole marketing campaign is all about, we are the only cooler that you'll have to have for the rest of your life, mm -hmm. literally, right? Is that where we all need to go? Is that the only way to build a brand now through? Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. You did do an amazing Medium article on that. <laughs> I you did. That was that Medium. was over a year ago now. I know. Go to our Medium page and scroll on down. Okay. And you'll see Yeti. <laughs> it's awesome. Mags did a good one. <laughs> but I mean, that, that that's a that's an interesting point too. If you look at Yeti, they they create a bunch of content that they tell stories about. Mm -hmm. They highlight people who use the product. They show it in use. But and now Blake is quoting my article. But at the end of the day. <laughs> um, 
you know, I think it's a superior product and then that, that speaks for itself. And then you, then you go back to like, what is successful marketing, you know, in general, it's word of mouth. Yeah. You know, and if your if your friend has one and he loves it and it works really well and you experience that, I think that's that, that in itself is how I think marketing needs to, to take it, take itself right now. Yeah. But if you don't have a good product, what do you do? You put programmatic ads on Facebook (laughs) until you buy it and you hustle. Yeah. Yeah. But you're not able to tell a story then. That's what I was saying. I don't think, I don't think this like entertainment long form content is made for every brand, right? If I sit, I'm not going to sit back and like try to enjoy a Honda commercial or a Honda piece of content. I'm just not. No. But if there's like maybe a Land Rover commercial and they're driving around as far, like you just, some brands can make interesting stuff. Other brands are just very utilitarian to a certain degree. Yeah. And they're not trying to be these like these, these big innovators in a space. It also takes, it takes investment to do it right. Like if, if you want to create a lot of content, think about, I don't know, like the New York times or like refinery 29, how many people do they have creating video and other content? They have a lot and they spend a lot of money doing it. So it's tough to be a brand where you don't have, you know, a newsroom or a media company to do that. So how do you do that? How do you invest without, you know, killing your whole marketing budget? And so it's, it's just such a tough balance between sort of the traditional ways of advertising and the new ways of advertising. And I think everyone is trying to figure that out. And we've never promised to have every single answer here on this podcast, but we're always asking these questions every day. Reverting back a little bit to Condé Nast. Yeah. I had an interesting thought here just because I just, always thinking about how Netflix works and how they just raise their prices because they're going to start oh, yeah. doing something different. Did they say what they're going to they do? They didn't say what they're going to do yet. Those or they, I don't even think they said how much they're going to raise their prices, but, um, it's on the horizon. It's on the horizon on stock liked it. So that's good. But if you're, <laughs> if you're a Condé Nast and I'm just, you know, thinking of some of their brands, they have teen Vogue, golf world, glamor, bon appetit, brides, lower, they have essentially all of the makings of a fantastic network. Yep. Right. So if, if you were to think of how Facebook watch launched and it was so, so schizophrenic on all the channels or all the content they had, if they just had some sort of publication lens to what they were creating that people yeah. would go to and, and look at. Yeah. I don't know. It could be an interesting. Condé Nast has that. Well, they're trying with the video hub they've got, but I don't know what's popped for them on that. It's called, um, the scene, I think. Only thing I've ever watched on that is the 73 questions stories. Do you know what those are? No. Um, I can't remember what sub brand it is under there, but they go into like Sarah Jessica Parker's house or Nicole Kidman's farm or Taylor Swift's like recording studio. Mm-hmm. And they ask her 73 rapid fire questions. What's your favorite pet? What do you want to be when you grow up? What was your favorite dream? What's your big, and, and they answer them. And I'm sure it's all set up ahead of time. But it's like you're in their house asking them all these really wacky questions. And mm-hmm. it's like three minute short vids and it's gone crazy viral. And there's probably like 30 episodes now. So it's called uh, 73 Questions. Oh, I think it's Vogue. I think it's Vogue. Vogue. Okay. Yeah. And that's just one of their. One of their series. One of their series. Okay. So short they form are, video. So scene. Yeah. I've never, I've never yeah, heard of seen. that. Well, that's the problem, right? Yeah. The, pro- the fact that most people haven't heard of it yet mm-hmm. means it exists. And uh, we'll, we'll link to it. It's right here on my, on my screen. Um, and uh, most people don't know it exists, but it does. And they've done a considerable investment for a lot of their brands to create this sort of video hub. And it's almost like a Facebook watch sort of concept where it's all sort of consolidated into one place. And there's all sorts of different verticals, whether it's arts and leisure, pop culture, et cetera. And then they sell ads against us. So this, is their, this has been around for a few years. Is it ads or is it content? Um, probably both, but probably do both. they show, com- sh- sorry, do they show commercials? 
um, within the content. That I don't you have. know. I don't know. Maybe. I'm sure they do. I'm gonna check out the scene. Yeah, it's quite the scene. <laughs> <laughs> so then, what do we predict then? Is that what the is that what's gonna happen potentially? Is that all of these kind of the Condé Nast publishers of the world are creating their own kind of internal hubs? Do the brands then? I think some might who have the resources. Mm-hmm. I think the one of the biggest challenges right now is do you put your stuff on a social platform or do you keep it yourself as a media company? If you keep it yourself, you get to keep all the revenue, but you might have smaller views, but then you get to do direct ad sales and partner with marketers and agencies. If you give it over to Facebook, you have to share or or YouTube or whoever, you could get a lot more views, but you have to share the revenue and who sells it is a little bit hazy and you lose some control over how many people see it. If Facebook changes the algorithm, they change the algorithm. And what's being shown next to it. And yeah. Or with it. Yeah, context matters, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's such a tough call. We have we have a client now that we have that we're having these conversations about, which is like, where do you run? Do you run in your your own property or do you run out there and how do you how do you get marketers on board? And I, and I think Maggie to your point, I think yeah. what we're seeing is that there's too much content, right? And brands don't need to be the ones making all this content. They need to be the ones that are behind the support of it. Um, and so I think, I think we're not, we're not in a place where we're going to be able to know what's going to happen next, but I do feel like we're pushing up against the ability for brands to keep up with media outlets that are making stuff that's better than what they're making. Like they always have been. And then maybe you need to get back to what is your commercial on these, these platforms. So let the media companies do the media do the media thing that they're doing well and let us as a brand focus on just educating the most important things to the consumer to raise the awareness of the brand or sell more product or whatever that might be. You know what's interesting about the hypothesis Blake was just talking about, about how there's just so much content that maybe brands, it's going to be their role to just cut back and really get back to kind of the the quote-unquote commercial Commercial. that they used to have to put out once a year and that kind of was what took them through the entire year yeah suggesting to do that now is almost like going back to that youtube strategy i feel like that we used to talk about with brands all the time you need to have your hero content your hub content and your hygiene content are we really saying hygiene was meant to be you know if you're american express how can i retrieve my password how can i figure out my credit line balance those kind of easy things that people really want to know about the product or the brand are we suggesting that those commercials then should really just go away from this brand storytelling place and more to a, I'm Subaru, let me tell you about the new car. It's available April, you know, 2018. I, th- I think it's kind of, I think. Is it both? I think is what it, it is, I think of it as like an artist palette. And it's like, we used to have like four colors on the palette and now there's 40 colors mm-hmm. on the palette. And so if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm a brand and I'm painting a picture, I have so many more colors to work sure. with than I used to. So it depends, I guess, on the picture they want to paint. Like, there's so many, if we take the Subaru example, right, or the Honda example, there are so many amazing, like, um, car testing YouTube channels that are so high quality. Like, the one out of the UK that I, I'm obsessed with is called CarWow, because they, um, they test drive. This dude is so funny. He's so hilarious. He test drives all these European cars, a lot of which we don't get in the States. So it's really interesting to see mm-hmm. these points of view. And anyway, they get hundreds of thousands of views. And so... 
a brand can be involved in that in a promotional or a sponsorship way without having to worry about producing really good content because really the key is if, if you're creating mediocre content, forget it, don't do it. Don't right? do it. I would rather, if I was advising a client, I would rather spend the money on great ads or great promotion to support great content than to do mediocre content. Do mediocre it's the stuff. worst thing ever. Yeah, so again, I think it's the artist palette and we just have a lot more colors to work with and we're not used to it. Well, but then that comes back to... Now my head's going in like just lots of circles. <laughs> then that comes back to those brands on Facebook that we were talking about that are creating really down and dirty content that's not meant to be on TV and not yeah. meant to be the most highly produced anything. And they they go out in Facebook performance ads and they're outbeating a lot of the million dollar you know pieces of content that big brands like Procter and Gamble and and Subaru are putting out there. So. Yeah. Are we now forcing brands as an agency to pick a side of the road and and kind of? It, kinda, I, it it's could just be very interesting. Well, look at like Dollar Shave Club or, or yep. Harry's for guys like uh, the shave the shave businesses like really took on an entrenched industry and basically just a lot of it was just social platforms. They just pushed their message so you could not avoid it. The free I don't think they had things as like frequency caps. No way. You just saw the message. It was interesting. I think the Dollar Shave Club one was really funny. Um, interesting funny uh videos about the product and they had a very the thing is they also had a very compelling value proposition which is we're cheaper and it's by mail it's subscription you don't have to go buy in the store you don't have to feel it because you go here's the key customer insight right which is if you had to go buy blades before as a guy they were all expensive and you had like two options right you had gillette whatever it was mach 3 or mach 15 <laughs> or whatever it's called and then you had the other one but you didn't really feel like you had a choice. Yeah. You're like, oh, this expensive one or that expensive one. Why are these so expensive? And so the consumer insight is, I wish I had a choice here. And then Harry's and Dollar Shave Club came, and even Dollar Shave Club with the name was like, okay, we'll give you a choice. The same quality razor, which some say yes, some say no, but we'll give it to you for much cheaper, and you can do mail order. Yeah, and, but that was that was a product that's not necessarily like a, a piece of branding. You know, well, it wasn't Harry's, marketing for them. Harry's is becoming like almost like a male lifestyle brand from what I've seen. Like I now see like face lotions or hair product or something There's, yeah they do it all they do it all now right yeah it's crazy it's crazy yeah so they started you're right they started as a product but now they've sort of expanded into a brand yeah but it was a good i mean to you it was a value proposition it was a good product it was easy to yeah. do and quote unquote disrupted the industry that needed it yeah well so the question so it's like it's like the old thing of like oh i want to be an actor so tom cruise did it so can i but there's 12,999 other people who didn't make it like Tom Cruise, right? So Harry's made it, but there's a lot of other products that don't. So by us talking about it like that, we're not implying it's easy. Mm -hmm. Just throw some stuff on Facebook. It requires pretty good amount of customer insight in investment dollars and a really well thought out targeted totally. media strategy and time and a very good product. So it's not easy. Definitely. Um, but the ones that pop are the ones that we see because they're successful. Yeah. Warby Parker back them or the co-founders created it so oh yeah so they had the money they, they had the infrastructure yeah for sure that's another that, brand that that's helps a, that's a whole nother brand that's that's done great things on social as uh, well as yeti and warby parker yeah that was they were the kings and queens of the hygiene content back in the day they were yeah. like invented that category wow you know yeah they'd always tweet they'd me back kept up yeah i wear glasses so you know yeah well <laughs> on a sort of side note on related to facebook the, in the last podcast for the second to last podcast we said is facebook watch ever going to run ads <laughs> and 
we finally have can say that every day this week we are all seeing ads for Facebook Watch, but it's only for one show. It's only for one show for Humans of New York. I think they heard us. I think they did. <laughs> there, so there's lots of sponsored posts now for Humans of New York, which is good. Trend, That's trendsetters here on Kiss yeah, and Tell. I think we might be. Thank you, Maggie. We saw I saw I saw one right after you sent me that that text. You talk. did? Yeah, I was like, oh, there it is. Oh my gosh. It was a different one though. It was cool. Oh my gosh, it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. I think there's gonna be. I think there's going to be some content that pops. I just think, don't think we're there yet. Hopefully it's some Condé Nast. They buy Condé Nast and they uh, just show all their, their stuff. I was the thinking scene. of resubscribing to Vanity Fair or something just to like, it, you know, it's like 10 bucks for a year. It's, nine, it's, nine, so, it's cheap. so cheap. Even Bon Appetit is Treat like, yourself. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. I have so much time. We all have so much time in our hands. Oh, gosh. We might as well get magazines. I have Bon Appetit, Maggie, and I think <laughs> I haven't paid in like three years. and They still send it to me. So oh, You definitely have paid. You're just you, not watching your credit card statements. Oh. I know. I have no idea what they're taking. Oh. Yeah. Subscription business models. We could do a whole podcast know, on we that. We should. We should. They are all buried in your credit card and they're like a uh, credit card statement. They're like four bucks here, eight bucks here. And then you add it up and it's like 250 bucks a month. And you're like, <laughs> great. See you later. I didn't watch that at all or use that at all. What right. do you think about this? I'm just, just going back to uh, subscriptions. Yeah. yeah. How much is your cable bill or was it before One, you cut the cord? I didn't still have like, not cut like the cord. hundred like bucks a month. More than that. 150. So Netflix right now. 10 bucks, 12 bucks, right? Yeah. Plus your internet cost yeah. for your wi-fi yeah if you think of the upside of where netflix could go to be totally. as much as cable could cost yeah very big brand yeah it's a really good point so the challenge becomes like if you look at the nfl ratings are down they're not doing very well it's now available on amazon so tonight yeah. patriots yeah Today, oh yeah today's thursday yeah, tom thursday brady's night. hitting hitting the field yeah and uh so you've got netflix which is trying to be all, thi all things eventually, so you could just do Netflix. But then right now, present day, you can't just do Netflix if you wanna get everything. You need Hulu for a lot of TV shows. Amazon has a bunch of stuff that's exclusive. Then there's a lot of second tier players, and then you have like custom add-on apps that you can do if you get cable or whatever. So it can quickly add up. But no, but if you think, if you just think long-term, yeah, Netflix could just slowly start, you know, we, we talked about it how you know they come out with specific content that yeah. targets as many people as possible mm -hmm. you just start slowly segmenting people into netflix and if there's enough content that's relevant to you 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 could eventually you'd no longer need hulu you, have you no have longer you, need did Amazon. you get your hands on like a business plan from them because you're right because think about this remember you were talking about netflix comedy and all the comedy investments they were yeah. doing and they had the billboards over on sunset yeah, yeah. and out here and and what if Netflix comedy is the first move into vertical specific yeah. channels, like you're saying? So you could do Netflix comedy, sports. Netflix sports. I mean, you could really go. Yeah. But if you think, if, if let's look, what is a, a fifty dollar a month Netflix looks like? Look like it awesome. would look like have a bunch of channels. NFL it would on it. need all those channels. Yeah. Well, so then, yeah. What at what point did the cable company? Well, now we're on a completely different topic. But at what point? That's how it goes. I guess <laughs> <and tell. laughs> no, trying. no. At but I, point, I guess you eventually revert back to yeah. if you have a Netflix with commercials, are you well, going to watch if, it or are you going to pay for it? I, if you have a Netflix with commercials, yeah. So I'm just yeah. getting back to getting getting yeah. advertising back at the game. Yeah. Well, but then <laughs> at what point do those cable companies say we're going to go a la carte? We're going to compete they're with not Netflix. Gonna, they're not going to matter anymore. They, well, yes, no. they will. They're yes, already they going, will. But they're already going a la carte. D Disney's got two coming next year, one for sports well, and one for everything else. And they're taking, and they took Star Wars and Marvel away from Netflix. So that's one step. 
but the, I'm talking about like the big kahuna steps. So Disney like, is the big kahuna. No, I know. But like when we start to think about different yeah. areas like food and oh, sports yeah. and yeah. things like that, when are all of those? It, does Netflix buy the Food Network and take all Food Network off of cable That's and onto an Netflix? That's an interesting yeah. question. Or does do the you know the cable companies maintain control of that yeah. and those networks control of that and start to go a la carte? That is a fascinating question because a lot of second tier smaller cable channels don't have very many subscribers and as cord cutting accelerates yeah. and we watch other things like you know Facebook or, or Snapchat, a lot of those second tier players have the capabilities to produce that content but maybe not the audience. Netflix has the audience but maybe in their budget they're like, what if we just bought it instead of producing it ourselves, acquisition versus creation, that is or, very fascinating. And then when you think about acquisition, if you yeah. go the acquisition route, if I'm Netflix, do I buy the Food Network or do I buy Tasty? Wow. Or do I just buy BuzzFeed? Or do I just buy, yeah. <laughs> so there's so many or, different. Even though NBC owns a portion of that. Well, but the Food Network it, is eventually going to die. Like it, it, it's, well, who owns the Food Network? I don't think that's true. Who owns the Food Network? I don't know. We'll have to look that up. Yeah. And isn't the Food Network only as good as the people that are on the Food Network? So if I'm Bobby Flay, just like a Shonda Rhimes thing, you're do I two, make a you're deal? You're talking to two cord cutters here, so we don't really <laughs> know. know. We don't know the it's just network. so interesting. There's so many different ways to kind of spin this whole revolution that's happening right now. I actually think that is a really interesting point, and it solves two problems. It, so it solves the second-tier cable problem of we don't have enough people. Netflix is going to have to constantly grow new content and they're spending seven billion next year and maybe part of their strategy is going to be something like that in addition to creating their own originals i think that is something that's worthy of exploration maybe it's my next invitation to kiss kiss and tell maybe it's a good topic could only be so lucky yeah i don't know netflix 50 bucks a month sports <laughs> food network i've given up trying Original to I, I personally have given up trying to save money in, in this world <laughs> in which we live. I don't even try anymore. Everything just costs money, right? Do you feel the, am I the only one who feels that way? No, I totally I just, agree. You look at your credit card bill and you're like, what the F? What am I spending all this money on? Do I need this and Hulu? And, oh, what is that $32 iTunes bill that doesn't say anything? Oh, it's New York Times and HBO. Thanks. You know, it's like it, stuff really adds up. Todd, we can, we can balance your budget next week here. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Thank you for letting me share, everyone. Um, we'll, look at, we'll show you. Look at, we'll deep dive into Todd's credit card bill next week. <laughs> no, but it's a serious, it's a, a digital media consumption challenge, yeah. right? Totally. Which is, which is your question about cable, 50 bucks a month or Netflix, right? But on the face of it, if you add up all the little things, will they ultimately add up to more than 50 bucks a month? Because then you have to add in like your Spotify and all the say, things. Spotify. Yeah. And they're all so little, just little enough where you sort of forget. But then if you actually look, and there's actually an app that will help you do this. I saw somewhere, somewhere sometime, will track all this for you, or you can just look at your credit card bill. Um, <laughs> and it really adds up to a lot of money. Totally. Yeah, there you have it. All right, guys. This was so great. Thank you, Maggie. Thank, Thank you. you. Todd, you're the best as always. <laughs> Any coffee? <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you for listening to Kiss and Tell. We appreciate all our listeners and all the people who write in. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Bye. Bye. Kiss and Tell, we appreciate the support from our listeners. 
You can learn more about us at Agency. Subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes store or learn more about modern media culture at medium.com front slash mistress agency.